I am that is. My sword shall wield for me. Hello, we are Bloobcast, I'm Rob, I'm James, and I'm Ewan, but the question is, why are we called Bloobcast? Yes! Yeah! Yeah. Yep, yep, don't need digging or breaking. So hello everyone, uh, today we are talking about Brian Jakes' Red Wall. Mm. This is a story about anthropomorphic animals, particularly mice and rats, in a battle, it's a battle between good and evil. There is a continuous line of stories, novels, a cartoon show, a video game, a graphic novel, audiobooks and everything. There was a video game? Yeah, there's a video game. I actually haven't played it. Red Wall has a special place in my heart. I grew up with it as a kid. I used to watch it, the, the cartoon show, at my gran- grandma's house. I've read the books. I've read the novel twice now. I've read the graphic novel, the listen to the audiobook. I've probably experience the same story in more than one medium like more than any other medium uh, than any other story that's something i want to explore a bit later on but it's a it's a brilliant tale it's it's fun i think it's even though it's a children's book and a children's cartoon i think adults can appreciate it as well there's a lot of like deep themes interesting characters it's a goofy villain as well in case you were wondering guys this was james's pick for this month uh, just yeah. in case anyone out there was wondering no it, it's james the or you clearly <laughs> like this series well yes <laughs> i mean wow that, that's a lot to uh, yeah I, I i love it i've loved red wolf even before Discworld. Before another uh, fantasy thing I'm not going to mention, uh, Lord of the Rings, you know, just everything else. Uh, mm. I was exposed to Red Wall. I think it's really been my gateway into the fantasy genre. Which is why, I mean, understandably, I know, obviously, uh, times have changed and our tastes of fantasy have also changed. And it is a children's book as well. Mm. So, you know, it's absolutely fine if people want to see it as just that. But for me, it was the starting ground for me into, you know, getting into the world of fantasy and just understanding, you know, magic and Arthurian legends and stuff like that. So I think it was a nice thing for me to get into, for sure. But yes, no, you're absolutely right, you and I love the hell out yeah. of it. So. It's it's definitely kids' introduction to the hero of a thousand faces, kind of, you know, that that kind of protagonist, hero's hero's journey stuff. Yeah, yeah that's... I'll, that's, I actually got that in my notes about like Matthias, who's the main character, undergoes he, he does undergo the um, archetypical hero journey. Starts as like a clumsy young mouse with a wish for adventure, wants yes. to live up to this legend called Martin the Warrior, who's like this big mythical figure who's like a m- mighty warrior, as you can tell by his name. And then by the end, he ends up he's basically Mar- ends up becoming Martin's successor um, through like some prophecy. And it's great to see him progress throughout the story. For sure. I'm actually really glad you mentioned that. I was going to mention it a bit later, but because you mentioned it now, I think it's probably a perfect time for me to talk about it. Is that I do think there's many, in many ways, the journey of Papias mirrors like you know, the Homeric uh, journey, you know, going traveling away and then, then traveling back to defeat the, the invaders, as it were, of their home as a transformed hero uh, that's managed to you know finally mm. fulfill their own destiny but also i think there's traces of other things now brian jakes is a very smart guy or he was yeah unfortunately he did pass away he sadly passed away many years ago now actually but if you look up his life he's a very interesting man he was in he lived in liverpool he was a milkman apparently he's a policeman as well brian did every job under the sun 
I was a policeman, I was a, a docker, I was, you know, long distance lorry driver. Been around the block ten times, Sam, you know, anything to make it crust. He didn't really go to university or anything like that. He's not like Tolkien or anyone else that kind of like, you know, went around studying mythologies or anything like that. He was just a normal guy, really, that just liked telling stories. Even though he'd inherited a love of books from his father, at age 15, he turned his back on academia, left school, and joined the Merchant Navy to set sail from the mouth of the Mersey to see the world. But he loved the King Arthur story, and he was very well read as well. Like he's talked about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and he's mentioned King Arthur, you know, the works of Dickens and stuff like that. Mm. He's a very, it's very, it does show as well when you read mm. his book. I'll get into his prose a bit later, but one of the things I did notice is that you can catch on to other myths that you think might have inspired. Redwall, I feel like there's bits of the Beowulf myth, mm. almost. I feel like Matthias fights different monsters and stuff like that, and goes through these different cycles. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, he fights a giant snake, which was awesome. He fights a giant snake, you know, that's his Grendel, as it were, and, yeah. you know, he progresses. I think it's the the journey of the, like, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know if there's, there's a word for it, the Beowulfian hero or the uh, Anglo-Saxon hero. but Like a Norse, Norse Nordic hero. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. There's bits of that, bits of King Arthur. I love that. It, like I say, it's it's one of the earliest exposures to myth for me. And one one thing one I did like with Matthias is that when Clooney, who's a bad guy, came back, Matthias he wanted to fight, and then even though like the um like the head of red like the priests was like, no, we don't fight. Uh, Matthias was like, no, we need to fight because otherwise they're gonna walk all over us. Mm. We'll be ready. We'll stand firm. We'll stand together. We'll fight him. I will hear no talk of fighting. The council will withdraw and consider what to do. The rest of you, go back to bed. Interestingly enough, that's different in the book and the graphic novel. What Fire says instead is like, we will be ready or whatever. And then the, the, the um, priest was actually like, oh no, he's right, we will be ready. Whereas in the animation, he's a bit like, no, Matthias, we... I don't know, it's interesting. The characterizations, there is a there is a yeah, difference. Yeah. yeah, because I, for context, I didn't read the novel. I read the graphic novel and I watched the first season of yeah. the cartoon. So I'm, I kind of maybe missed out on some of the stuff that was in the book, but I've, I've had experience of story in two different forms, uh, no, as it were. But, but Rob, you, you don't need to worry too much because I've read both the novel and the audio book and the graphic novel, and the graphic novel does take quite a... It's basically they've taken all of the dialogue from the novel and left out all the kind of descriptive stuff. It is basically the same story. It's quite... A, it's, it's a more accurate adaptation than the animated series for sure full disclosure um i read the first book and i watched yeah. the cartoon the entire cartoon this morning well the first season of the cartoon because as, as you mentioned there's there's a lot more books and presumably the next few seasons will cover those books later but yes i i have not read any of those books i have literally just just read the first book I should I should stress because I I'm I'm conscious that there probably will be Red Wall fans here who will expect I, James you're gonna have to do the heavy lifting on any other stuff because I don't know any of that. <laughs> I I I should have mentioned before we are focusing primarily on the first story the first ever the first book that was ever written by Brian Jakes it is just simply called Red Wall it's the story of Matthias the Mouse taken on Clooney the Scourge 
It is series one of the animated show, and there's only one graphic novel for that. There's no other graphic novel uh, for Red Wall other than the first okay. book. So we are focusing primarily on that story. We're not focusing on the Martin the Warrior prequel. We're not focusing <laughs> on Matameo. We're not focusing on Moss Flower. There's, there's a whole bunch. There's a whole mythology. Sure, sure. We're focusing on the first one. Maybe we'll come back to this, but mm. I don't want to put too much pressure on these guys. The books, for, despite them being children's books, they are quite big as well, actually. They're quite, um, they're, it was surprisingly detailed. Yeah, there's a lot going... Like, There's a lot of uh, little touches that, you know, it, it, the, the first book is very... Like, it, it goes into a lot of, like, various plot moments. You know, it, it's not just Clooney invades the Abbey and... Matthias goes on a, a little adventure. It's more Matthias goes on several adventures, and Clooney tries to invade the Abbey multiple times. You know, it's this like con constant kind of um, looping back and forth between you know, like each character is trying to get trying to get ahead of the other, which is interesting. I guess it's like the Hobbit in that respect, because it, yeah, you think of it as a mm. children's book, but it is actually quite in depth. My name is Bilbo Baggins. Bagginses. What is Bagginses, you precious? So, like, young children. You could read it to younger oh, yeah. children, but it might go over their heads a little Let's, bit. Let's... I think we have jumped in a bit. Do we want to talk about how we discovered Red Bull as well? Yeah, go for it. Um, because you're the Red Bull guy, you brought this to us. Um, I'd say you go first. <laughs> yeah, lovely, thank you. Right, so, for me, I'm going to just put it out there. As a per I'm a person that loves entertainment and media to this day that involves anthropomorphic animals. So like, you know, I like Animals of Farthing Wood. As a kid, I loved Animals of Farthing Wood. I liked, you know, Stuart Little, The Wind of the Willows. Um, essentially, this is Wind of the Willows with swords. I'll explore that a bit later on. You've never ridden a motorcycle. Ah, instinct, snare! Just watch this. Oh I was first exposed to Red Wall when I went to my local library. I went to the local library and we had VHS tapes. They were giving out VHS tapes, computer games and stuff like that you could borrow. Um, so we borrowed the Red Wall movie and the Red Wall movie is not actually a, a movie. It's actually just a, the first lot of episodes moulded together into one extensive animation on VHS. So I watched that at my grandma's house after borrowing the video and so then I got exposed to the whole story about cleaning the scourge and stuff like that Asmodeus and because at this point I was quite probably quite a young kid I, all I had been watching really was like you know things that are quite light-hearted and stuff like that it was very rare apart from maybe animals of farthings wood it, it was very rare to have something that had action or have you know actual real death and you know, sort of like some shocking moments and, and, and you know, an epic story and stuff like that that takes itself quite seriously. That was, it was kind of an early example of that for me. So it really took me away as a kid, like it blew my mind a little bit to get immersed mm. into this sort of world. That was a bit different. And I love the Arthurian nature of it all and stuff like that. I love the opening and stuff. So I got really sucked into it. And my brother also loved it as well. He read the book before me. He read a lot mm. of more of the books actually. And then when I became more of a teenager and I was getting into like the fantasy genre a bit more, I, this is an interesting thing about me, but in terms of literature, I didn't really get into the fantasy genre until a bit later on. So I kind of read Red Wall and The Hobbit and, you know, and Lord of the Rings and stuff like that as a teenager, uh, along with Lev Grossman's Magicians and the works of Neil Gaiman's Terry Pratchett. 
so that's when I kind of got into the more descriptive side, and I realised Brian Jake's actually, you know, he's quite a good writer. He's uh, and it's darker than the TV show. You realise there's a, the the violence is is in a lot more detailed. I got that from the graphic novel because going from the graphic yeah. novel to the cartoon was like a massive like shock to the system for me. It's very gore- gory in places. You know, like they, they go into quite graphic detail. Just to quickly say, yeah. there are two characters. Should we jump? I'm just gonna put a spoiler warning here. I think I'm gonna spoil this story. Hmm. So if you don't want to spoil it for Red Wolf, please watch the first series of the show or read the book or read the graphic novel first. But there are two characters. There are foxes. Called... The bad guys lose. I think it's okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, but you know, it's it's that kind of story. Ch- chicken, chicken hand and sealer. They're their death is re- in the books and the graphic novel specifically is really graphic and disturbing yeah yeah they go into quite detailed stuff about how they're killed yeah yeah they changed it in the cartoon show and Sela dies off screen mm. if i were you i'd run <laughs> chicken hand escapes only to be eaten yeah. by asmodeus still a bit disturbing is somebody there Asmodeus, Asmodeus, come with me, young foxy, I will show you eternity. But again, again off screen, you don't see yeah. Asmodeus eat. So we should mention Asmodeus is a snake. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that that they run into, yeah, and and that's quite. He's always quite sinister because he comes in and out. Whenever there's a character like running around the woods on their own, you mm. know at that point, oh okay, they're about to get turned into snake food, you know. <laughs> but in the book, before right. this happens, so they, he still gets eaten by the snake. But in the book, they are both speared repeatedly and thrown into a ditch together, and it's described in detail how Chicken Hound survives mm. this and is essentially thrown next to his own dead mother, barely alive before being yeah, devoured yeah. by a snake. And he doesn't... Um, <laughs> and reading that yeah, as an pretty, adult... Pretty get, horrific. Yeah, yeah. As a, even as an adult, I just thought... Porridge! <laughs> yeah, yeah no, there's, there's some quite... There is some quite graphic moments like that where you, you are, like, taken aback because they yeah. are ostensibly ch- children's books. But then you've got to remember that when I was growing up, I didn't read Red Wall, but I did read a lot of... You know, I, I, I absolutely adored Greek mythology and I was fascinated by Greek and Roman history and, and but Greek mythology. Oh my God, like I can I can grab my Greek, I've literally got my Tales of the Greek Heroes by uh, Rod, Roger Green, actually right across from me, I can see it. And I can tell you now, like the, the violence in those stories and we, we just give them to children to read, you know, and, and they'll tell stories about people getting decapitated and people being turned to stone and and being eaten alive by monsters you know we we like we love it <laughs> Chil- yeah like we love we love giving them to children and children love reading them and you know? <laughs> that's why because we've done a cu- couple of episodes before on like children's media like even like when we talk about beast wars like the we, we were all, like, remember James being absolutely shocked about what happened to Dinobot when he um, died in, like, a children's show. Tell my tale to those who ask. Tell it truly. The ill deeds, along with the good. And let me be judged accordingly. The rest is silence. That was upsetting, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that yeah. Or um, there's a lot of what that. was the character called again? Is it Prototype or the um ah oh, the weird oh, alien one that appears? Do you yeah. know what I'm talking about? Um, yeah, was yeah, that yeah, oh Transmutate? Transmutate. Friend. Good. Friend. Dark. That was horrible. <laughs> um, and also, of course, all, all yeah. the stuff in Batman, the animated series, which she also talks about, like the whole Clayface episode where he gets drowned in clay and turned into a clay monster. They wanted more of this stuff? Then let's give it to them. Oh, not that way. Please. Let's give him all he'll ever need. Oh. 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 <laughs> yeah. I watched a lot of these cartoons at my grandma's house, including things like Watership Down as well. Um, there, I don't know what was going on that during that time, but animals of farming wood, red wool, Watership Down, mm. all these things of anthropomorphic animals were so bloodthirsty. And I, considering the fact that this is probably during a time when people were getting funny about violence and stuff mm. like that. Oh, we'll get into that next episode yeah. probably. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. I, anyway, but just to finish up my story, I was also exposed to nothing called Watership Down, which is just completely bloodthirsty. It was basically like Game of Thrones with talking yeah. animals, yeah. but it's it's it, there's a I think there's a limit into which you can make something violent and it's exciting and also violent to the point where it's a bit horrible. In Animals and Farthing Wood, yeah. families are ripped apart and die really slowly on screen. Oh yeah, I've heard about um, this. It's, it's the Game of Thrones of animals, basically. Mm. It was so bad at one point. My grandma saw both myself and my brother watching it. She went, turn that off. This is ter terrible. <laughs> so, so there you go. Yeah, I suppose the argument, though, is, is with media about animals is that it's preparing children for the fact that nature is incredibly violent and there is a lot of like extreme brutality that you know literally if you're just watching something in a garden and you see like a, a fly get caught on a spider's web it is horrific you know and that's just that's just something a child will see no matter what like you can't you can't tear them away from that they're gonna see stuff like that and i think that fiction like this showing cute little rabbits like in watership down seeing them getting horribly mutilated by each other a lot of the time it's like yeah that's what animals do to each other a lot of the time because they're fighting over territory and you know and that's what this is about red wall i will say i think is a perfect balance of that it doesn't go too far but it does go do what you would suggest which is show that you know nature can be a violent and vicious thing in some of those shows, like Animals of Fire, it, it can go too far. So I think Red Wall, you know, keeps it subtle enough that it's enjoyable. For me, like, um, yeah, I had had uh, some exposure to Red Wall beforehand, but that was only that I knew it existed. I think, yeah, one of my siblings had the books, but I never read, read them because yeah, I, I was a teenager at the time, so probably 13, 14 maybe, and I assumed that these were like kids books, I was too old for them and just never gave gave them much thought beyond that. Then years later, James told us all about, about the series, and yeah, we prepared to do it for this episode, but before we did, um, before that, long, like um, this is like October last year, I ended up getting into David Peterson's comic book series, Mouse Guards, 
which is a similar kind of fantasy series about um, mice with swords. So it's in, so my perspective is interesting as I discovered the Mouse Guards first and then got got into Red Dwarf through doing the podcast. So so yeah, so interesting mix of opinions here. I'll try not to bring up Mouse Guard too much because we might do an episode on it. But one comparison I thought with um, the two series and how they're a bit different is with Red Wall, they're animals with kind of more human characteristics. So they like kind of got arms and legs and things like, like that. Well, like they, they walk like humans, talk like, um, I guess they do Mouse Guard. But Mouse Guard, they, they're like a proportioned like mm. actual mice. So they've still got like the stubby little arms and things like that. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad you mentioned Mouseguard because Redwall, even though we were talking about this earlier because we were trying to find gifts for Redwall in our Discord chat and we realised there wasn't that many. But the thing is, Redwall is not that obscure. It has had an impact on the fantasy genre. Um, Christopher Paolini, who wrote the Aragorn series, has said that it's an influence. And obviously, the um, what's the, uh, oh, the the writer's name for Mouseguard again, Rob? Because oh, he's so, mentioned... um, David Peterson, yeah, he said... He found, I think he said, um, he came up with the idea and then someone told him about Redwall and he was like, he kind of tried to not copy Redwall but just do his, it, like his own take on the, a similar kind of format. Yeah, so people have been influenced by Brian Jakes. I, I definitely saw the books like advertised, you know, in bookshops and stuff because I used to go to bookshops a lot, you know, just to as a kid just looking around and I'd always see these books but I never got them and I never bought them I never read them I, I was always aware of them and I was always I, I was aware that there was a cartoon series as well there must have been some advertising or something for Red Wall but I never yeah I was never exposed to the series until now really yeah just the the image of the you'd always see these kind of images of mice in armor or you know mice in kind of fantasy gear fighting it out or, you know or traveling and um, yeah, I don't know why I never picked them up. I think I just I'm, I, I was either interested in other series because I, I read the Edge Chronicles a lot when I was growing up, and, and series like that. And I, I read Lord of the Rings when I was quite young, so I think that that probably didn't help because I think after you've read Lord of the Rings, it's kind of hard not to see Lord of the Rings in every other fantasy story, you know, because obviously it's such an influential book and series in, in its own right. And yeah, like I said, I was interested in mythology, so I was always kind of reading a lot of that. Yeah, so I never never really got into Red Wall until, you know, James suggested we, we check it out for, for this podcast. Yeah, no, I've, I've got a lot of a lot of thoughts on it. One thing I, I did want to say with with Red Wall, I think what's great about it as a children's series is that it it, it kind of comes from a childish imagination. I, I mentioned about how nature is so violent. You know, if you're if you're looking at animals, just in in your garden or in the park or wherever it is, you see nature happening, and the amount of times you see like kind of. Uh, not necessarily fighting, but just, you know, there's always these kind of interactions and you you are kind of, your brain does kind of think to yourself, oh, what what are they thinking? What What's going on in these animals' minds? And then, you know, like, and then you start to think, oh, what, you know, what if the mice are having a war with the rats or with the sparrows or, you know, have all, all of these different kind of, it comes from a very kind of childish imagination, I thought, which is kind of appreciated it's it's very sweet this idea of like oh you know a mouse in armor fight you know it's almost like the the nutcracker almost because that has like the rats the rat king and you mentioned lord of the rings you and you say when you sort of read lord of the rings it's a bit hard to kind of get into other fantasy things because you see a lot of lord of the rings in them but red wall i don't think there is that much lord of the rings i see more 
of T.H. White's, you know, Once and Future King and myths and stuff like the Arthurian legend. I think it's more fantasy of that calibre. Um, yeah, it's more kind of like Celtic kind of medieval mm. stuff rather than like the outright high fantasy of Lord of the Rings. I'm not even sure if Brian Jakes was a Tolkien fan, actually, now I think about it. I don't know if he's mentioned it. He, he, he might have been. He, he might yeah, have been, but I'm not maybe sure. Maybe not, maybe. Well, did, did, did you see any Star Wars in this? Because I saw a lot of Star Wars. Your power's a weak old man. You can't win, Darth. When I was reading this, because again, it was the hero, the hero's journey. Clooney's a lot like, you know, kind of Darth Vader kind of character. He's got that kind of look um, to him, yeah. yeah. I think, well, and and but my my big tell for that was Star Wars is quite novel for the way that it jumps between Luke's story, but then it also cuts to like, you know, the Imperial officers and Darth Vader having a meeting. It's the jump between the heroes and the villains' stories. And of course, one thing I noticed right off the bat in the book was that we have Matthias's story, but then suddenly the next chapter is Clooney's story and Clooney's perspective as the villain. And the story jumps back and forth. Each chapter will go from Matthias or, or the heroes or whoever heroic character and what they're doing. It'll then suddenly jump to Clooney's story or, or in some cases, Sela and, and Chickenhound. But mainly, mm. you know, it, it was this jump between heroes and villains stories, which I thought, that seemed very Star Warsy to me because you had that same kind of kind of structure in in the storytelling, at least of the first film, and and in this case the first book. I don't know if that's how Jake's continues to do it in the in the later stories, but yeah, because uh, um, yeah, that's the thing uh, with um Star Wars is like at the time, I think part of why it caught on was it because it was a melting pot of all these different influences like Kurosawa and of course like the. Mm. Joseph Campbell and the big one being Flash Gordon, so it's like a melting yeah, pot of like everything. Yeah. Even even not touches of Wizard of Oz here and there. I think to be you know I think one of the things that we should mention is that I absolutely love how well written the book is, even for a children's book. Mm. Like mm. okay, so there's as a you know with writing and stuff like that, there are different rules and stuff that you can follow or not follow. It's up to you and stuff like that. I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong way to write a book. There are different styles you can follow. But Brian Jakes' style is very much a paint a picture with your words sort of style. He will describe everything from the scents, from the, you know, the visuals, the, the temperature, the texture of the world. And you do get immersed into it. Unfortunately, the graphic novel doesn't have that, and neither does the cartoon series. Yeah, I was thinking, I, I, I missed out on that from yeah. through just reading the graphic novel, but yeah. I read that just because I'm a, I'm a very slow reader yeah. and thought the graphic novel would be oh, more no. digestible. That's fine. I mean, the graphic novel is still a lovely story. Mm. Uh, I'll get into the graphic novel a bit more later on, because it does have its own perks to it that the, that the novel doesn't have either. But I just love the way Brian Jakes does write. I do contrast him a lot with Sir Terry Pratchett, uh, and I also love Sir Terry Pratchett. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You mentioned I definitely get this, yeah. a kind of Pratchett-esque vibes from, I guess, the story, maybe? Not necessarily, I think it's quite the opposite, actually, because with, with Pratchett, he doesn't, okay, it's, it, I think it's, it's a kind of, it's a compliment, but also a criticism from me in a way, because yeah, I do yeah. think Sir Terry Pratchett doesn't believe the readers are dumb, he will, infer that the reader knows what they're talking uh, what he's talking about and stuff like that he will write something and get the impression that the reader knows what's going on like rather than writing the cat caught the mouse the mouse was between the paws of the cat as he enjoyed his delightful dinner or something like that he'll write it in a way that like kind of 
indirectly infers that's happened. But sometimes, because there's a lot of chaos and stuff like in Discworld, and there's a lot of yeah, realities yeah. always kind of falling apart and stuff like that, sometimes I get lost, and maybe that's down to me as a reader. No, but... no, I think I think there is some level of being leaving it too much to the imagination with Pratchett because I, I do I always remember the the artist who drew Rincewind and Two Flower in the original story he literally gave Two Flower four eyes because Pratt, what Pratchett had meant was that Two Flower was wearing glasses and he was four eyes you know kind of thing but the artist lit, literally interpreted it as four eyes because te- Pratchett at no point in the story actually mentions him wearing glasses or even describes them, you know. He just says he has four eyes, you know. So that that's an, a little little detail. Mm, yeah, yeah. Because the other um, writer, his own like Tolkien, is he will go. He went in so much detail in at least in the Lord of the Rings about like everything going on. Like he talk about like, like about the history of a field there and, and stuff like I that. I think Ryan Jakes is he's kind of in that sort of territory. He's not trying to focus on the wits and, you know, he's not leaving the imagination entirely to the reader. I think he is painting the picture. I mean, it's good because, like, for a reader like me, you do understand how the characters look. You realise Clooney looks like this large rat from the sea that is, like, shadowy and almost demonic and has a Uh, a horse. He's a pirate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he has an well, eye patch, you know, um, he does. Or, or at least, or at least he's he's one-eyed in the uh, in the book. I don't know if he had an eye yeah. patch, but uh, he has an eye patch in the cartoon. Yeah, like they mentioned, he's like a sea rat or something like that. And I immediately and just then, imagined him as a pirate. <laughs> and you have, you have his like first in command mm. shadow, who looks mm. a bit like a. Well, we don't sure if yeah. he's a rat or if he's a weasel or something like. Get that. me shadow. Where's that? Damn fourth chaos emerald. Yeah. 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 Speaking of Clooney, that's something I kind of wanted to talk about. Is I maybe because I only watched the TV show and read the graphic novel, but I'm not sure what to think about him. Like he has a cool design, but I never really got like the sense that he was like this great villain. Like um, he was just like some bad guy who wanted to take over Red Wall. Like yeah, sometimes you you can have a villain like that, and depending on how they're handled, like they can be engaging, but. Yeah, I just didn't really attach myself to him, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's 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 not much to him, I would say. And so he's not like a he's not a Zuko or anything like that. Fair enough, you know? but at the same time, I kind of I don't know. All right, how can I describe? It? So basically, it's like Skeletor, for instance. What? Like he's not. I, I like kind of goof. I like goofy villains <laughs> oh, yeah. and stuff like that, and I think it works. Like I mean, yeah. fair yeah. enough. I I do see what you're saying. I think he's making a very good point. He's not an in-depth villain, but equally, mm. I do think that he's like got a lot of things that are a bit Shakespearean going on. Oh yeah, like, he's a bit like a Macbeth or a Hamlet. He's haunted by night terrors and the ghosts. That's that's well. The 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 biggest the biggest comparison there would be Richard the Third. Yeah. Who's also tormented by nightmares and and of course is is just completely evil in every regard there's no kind of good side ever really given to richard the third by by shakespeare yeah so i i always got that vibe from him when he had his nightmares about his previous victims and all that sort of thing for sure that was definitely a richard the third moment but but also to like you know go on to the point where you say he's not that in depth and stuff like that i don't think he needs to be because there's an element especially in the book he is described as being like mm. a, a folk legend a warning used by mothers when youngsters were fractious and disobedient just like a bogeyman so he's kind of he's, more, he's kind of a symbol of evil 
basically. Somewhat, but, but there's, a, there's an element of mystery to him. He's a myth. Do you know what I mean? Like a myth to scare people, mm. um, to give them nightmares. And, you know, Methuselah, in both the graphic novel and the book, he literally pours over the Chronicles of Red War and he recalls to himself from memory that Clooney has caused disease, death, murdered piglets, burned down farmhouses. And, you know, the, there's Chronicles providing evidence of these exploits. So there's this element of like, you know, gosh, we don't know too much about him, but that may increases the sort of nightmarish quality of him, I think. Mm. Yeah, and and what and it makes the kind of the defense of Red War so dramatic and so kind of inspiring because we've been given this idea that this this guy is just this unstoppable force, and then suddenly he runs into the Red Wall mm. Abbey, and immediately he's just he's just repelled. You know, he he can never break in, no matter what strategies he tries. They're always they always come out with something to to beat him, and and so the idea is you kind of reading it and, and thinking wow you know that these red wallers are so you know they have they have a lot of smarts to them or, or they're you know they always they always figure out what he's planning at the last second kind of thing which is fun so just going back as well to what i was saying about skeletal and stuff i mean like a is one of my favorite villains ever in samurai jack i don't think he's that in depth really but i love him because he's a comedic and that look Clint yeah. Scourge is an absolute monster. He's literally a cross between the, the orc who screams, Meat's on the menu, boys, and Captain Blackbeard. Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. In fact, weird, weird enough, like the whole Brat Pound seems yeah. like a weird mix between pirate swashbucklers and Middle Earth orcs. I think he, he makes me laugh a little. He is a bit comical yeah. in a way. He makes these funny growls and stuff like, Clint the Scourge. Hmm. I don't like porridge. You know, I just like that kind of. Yeah. Well, yeah, there, there just... is there is some implication that because of the way he fails to take Redwall, you, you could argue that a lot of the myth making was actually just him spinning tales about himself. You know, because he he, yeah. he terrifies all of the other rats into believing everything he says and doing everything he says. So you could argue that they're just the ones spreading rumors about him, and really he's you know he's not he's not actually all that. He's yeah. more like the hood from Thunderbirds. Soon you will be under my influence. Even though you are far away, you cannot escape me. Kirano. Kirano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His greatest his greatest opponent is Martin the Warrior, the legend of Martin the Warrior. So it's mm. one legend against another. And when he realizes his legend is not enough to defeat the morale of Red Wall, mm. he realizes then, oh no, um, I don't have uh, power here this is i need to take that flag to ruin their hopes you know to yeah. destroy the the dream of red wall and let the the myth of cluey's strive fear into the hearts of all that like, opposes him you know yeah. that's what yeah. that's the vibe it was giving me yeah um but yeah i like i like so, doing to, it. To, to take things <laughs> to take things back a sec one thing mm. i wanted to discuss because I, I i was kind of taken aback a bit by the cartoon because of this but with the the way the Red Wall world works. When I was reading it, I got the sense that it was kind of like Toy Story, in the sense that you had these kind of small woodland creatures being very much like kind of human-like in the way they act and the way that they have a monastery and, and armies and all of these things. But ultimately, they're still within a human world that they just happen to be inhabiting. And there were things like like the fact that Clooney's entire army is able to fit onto one horse-drawn cart and the horse is, to them, massive. 
And I always imagined that the, the Red Wall hall that they were in was actually just a small part of a real life monastery that they'd taken over. And you know, things like it, it's, it takes a lot of effort for them to climb up trees and things like that. And I just want to, I wondered if that was what was going on here, because then when we got to the cartoon, everything's very downsized and we're like, everything's kind of built for animals. You, you know what I mean? Very, like, you yeah. make a very good point because yeah, this is yeah. actually something that has been debated by Red Wolf fans. Um, <laughs> and you're yeah, right yeah. to infer that from the novel because I think that, if I remember correctly, because uh, it was a few months ago I read the novel, there is an implication that this takes place in the human world and there's a larger yeah. carriage that's, or like an abandoned carriage that's human sized or whatever at one point. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So. There is that implication. However, it's it's not great writing on Brian Jake's part, but that's abandoned later on in the later novels, and it's kind of implied that they live in their own world, basically. That's not inhabited. Yeah, by because humans. you you mentioned that, and the main thing of how in Mouse Guards, yeah, yeah um, that is um, is very much because it's a comic book. It can clearly show what what the world is, and it's clearly like a human world where the map, the um, but the mice and all the other animals have parts in it so, so everything is like really small like they ride on like rabbits that they use as right, steeds right, basically yeah. yeah my my other thought was because if if because my mind was going there are humans in this world and it is basically just our world but these animals just happen to be more intelligent and you know they're they're clothed and, mm. and use weapons and that sort of thing but my other thought was this is a horrifying world because you have sentient creatures like the owl and the snake as Modius eating other sentient creatures you know so it's basically just cannibalism to some extent or at least some you know it'd be like if we knew that pigs or chickens could talk and we just went yep we're eating them anyway you know I, I just thought that was interesting how how horrific how horrific that was one thing I wanted to mention and it goes back to what I was saying about the comparisons okay. between Pratchett and Jake's and this is one against Jake's is that with Pratchett mm. he writes characters that are full of potential of redemption you know they can they might be born as a zombie but they might end up becoming a mm. good zombie or like they'll be a, an orc but Rather than be a barbaric orc, they might be well read and you know whatever, or, or they might sure, be a wizard, sure. but they might be inept and then end up doing something else completely. Uh, sometimes at times heroic or whatever. Yeah, they're, it, they're never they're never fixed in their place. Yeah, they're, whereas you know, their characters are very fluid. Red Wall is the opposite of that to a fault. So the mice are the good mm. guys, the rats and the weasels, the, the weasels are the bad guys. The only kind of exception yeah. to that rule, I think is Captain Snow, the owl you mentioned, where, and also the, yeah. the squire, Julian uh, Gingerveer, I hope I said the name right. Gingerveer, yeah. Um, yeah. So basically those the, two have a cats, long, yeah. yeah, those two have a long history. They are a, a, a quarrel as it were, but squire mm. Julian basically becomes a vegetarian, um, or a pescatarian. Um, <laughs> so there's, yeah, yeah. are the fish sentient? Again, you know. Uh, that's a good question. I don't want to think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just something this like just eating these poor talking fish. Like, no, please. Yeah, that's a because yeah. they they even mentioned they even mentioned that bees apparently talk in this world. Like they mentioned that the oh no, not the bees, not the bees. Oh no, not the bees, not the bees. Ah, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they're, they're talking to the bees to argue with them. And I just thought, okay, so the so bees are apparently sentient enough that they chat to them. Yeah. So it, it, is, it is a world where the rules don't quite... Well, I don't know if they were fought out, at least for the first book. Maybe in the later ones, they're a bit more clear-cut. They're just little things like that I was noticing. Captain Snake, he does turn into the good guy in the end, even though he tries to eat the fires earlier on. Because... Yeah, th this is the thing. Like, he's still he's still apparently eaten countless mice and shrews, knowing full well that they are sentient, thinking, you know, talk talking creatures, which I just thought was kind of... You know, quite funny. Oh, that just reminds me of that episode of Futurama where they get those like alien nugget oh, things yeah. and uh, they start selling them, and then Leela finds out they're actually yeah. sentient, oh, yeah. and then she's like, oh, "No, we can't eat they them." They That's taste funny. so good. They're tastier than an unguarded penguin nest. What do you call them? We haven't thought of a name yet. Well, they're tasty, right? Let's call them tasticles. No. <laughs> <laughs> but but going, going back to like yeah. this idea that you know characters can redeem themselves and stuff like that. This is funny. There's an episode of Blue Peter mm. where Brian Jakes is answering questions from little children, and one of the children actually asks him about this, and it's a really good question that she asks, and it kind of stumbles him, I think, because right, right. like she literally just says like, "You write about you know the mice being the good guys and the rats being the bad guys." Have you thought about writing a book where the rats can become good or like, you know, the weasels can become good? And then like, Brian Jack is like, well, the way I see it is, you know, what do you think of a rat? That's a bad guy, you know, whereas the good guys are you guys and stuff like that. Mm. Like, okay. In your books, stoats and weasels are the bad guys. Could you write a book where they are good? I'd try not to. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um, you see what, the, what they call the characters are the goodies and the baddies, isn't there? You know, there's, there's no sick... There's no um, schizophrenic baddies and sympathetic goodies and or, or, or the other way around. That's right, yeah, <laughs> the other way around. Anyhow, if you think of a rat, you can call somebody a dirty rat. Right away, you've identified the baddie. So, weasels, stoats, ferrets, and vermin, and that sounds bad. And the good guys are you. So she asked like this really intelligent question. Yeah. I just thought, well, you know. Yeah. The the. Well, first off, like, mice are vermin as well. So I don't really see his argument that, like, oh, when you see a mouse, they're good, and when you see a rat, they're bad. No, if I see either of them in my house, I'm getting mouse traps. You know, like, I, I don't want them near my sister My sister's food. got pet rats, and they are <laughs> precious. Yeah, and then we, we domesticate both. You know, we, we keep them as pets. So it is a strange bit of logic there, because, yeah, what who's to decide what vermin are when all of these characters in some way or another, are vermin. Like, if, you, if you're if you a farmer and you see rabbits on your farm, you think, oh, great, you know, they're, they're eating my crops. You know, you, you, like... the Or, yeah. or even badgers. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember going to a scout camp once and we were doing a night hike and one of the leaders told us, don't step on farmland because a farmer might think you're a badger and shoot you. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Here's a bit of food for thought while we're on the subject of animals and stuff like that. There's not... In my opinion, I don't think there's a lot of modern fantasy involving like anthropomorphic animals. Mm. There was a time when you had quite a lot, like a few. I can like I can name a lot of them that came around probably between like three decades or whatever. Like you know, Duncan Woods, Red Wall, His Dark Materials, Animals of Farming Wood, Watership Down, The Chronicles of Narnia, and by and by and large, mm. I think a lot of this all stemmed from The Wind in the Willows and maybe Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, um, yeah, but you don't. Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, I think that's a good example. 
closest thing I can think of that's kind of a bit more recent, although it's not fancy, it's more sci-fi, is they did this weird Looney Tune show called Lunatics Unleashed, where it's like this like um, more action-based sci-fi show with um, ancestors of the Looney Tunes characters. In the year 2772, a meteor strikes the city planet of Acnetropolis, knocking it off its axis. This cosmic event releases supernatural forces, unleashing a new kind of hero, the Lunatics. I love I've never that watched show. it, but it looks I, like why? I watched that. I loved that as a kid. But um, obviously, you know, we have a lot of that animated media concerning talking animals, like Sonic the Hedgehog. I myself animate a talking animal cartoon called Penguin, sure. as you all know. But um, I would like yes. to see more high fantasy epic stuff involving talking animals again. I mean, obviously we've got Mouse Guard and all that, but you know, I, don't, I feel like the genre, that that um, genre has kind of died out a bit in recent times. I'm not really qu quite sure why, um, but I'd like to see more yeah. things like Red Wall. Now, the big question is: Would you say that? Red Wall is fantasy because I know obviously it is it's fantasy in the sense that they're animals but in terms of magic there isn't really that much like there's there's a sense of destiny about Martin and Matthias um, and of course the, the the riddle of I am that is and it turns out that you know so there's a bit of prophecy but the sword itself isn't magical that he eventually the sword of Martin like, I know it's a kind of you know a sword in the stone situation but it's it's not a magical sword. It's a normal sword, from what we can tell. Um, so I, I'm, that's inter a very, I'm interested that's a very in that. Good question. Yeah. I think first of all, we have to ask ourselves what we define as fantasy. Do we define fantasy based on the uh, presence of magic? Because well, I I I, I, I mean, would say to an extent yes, because otherwise this is a medieval story. You know, like and it, you could just argue that it's just a medieval story that you know it's it's animals. But even like the Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones, even though there's magic in that world, a lot of it's not the focus, and you know there's more of it's focused on. That's still fantasy though, because there are because there are dragons and there are ma there is magic in that, like quite. Yeah, I'll, I'll still count, count that as fantasy. But then I don't know what would I think there is a certain I think we do label things that like are characterised as myths and stuff like that, as fantasy in this day and age. We wouldn't look at something that looks. Like a myth. Like, I think even there was a uh, a modern novel about Greek myths and stuff like mm. that has been labelled as fantasy, for instance. Oh, yeah, sure. It's a more sure. recent example, like The Northman, which came out um, a couple months ago. I really enjoyed it, but um, it isn't well, just a straight-up, like, Norse film. It's not, there was kind of some light fantasy in there, but I wouldn't say it's a full-on fantasy film. Yeah, the magic in that film was kind of implied to just be in their in their heads, like how they interpreted things in those days. It's a really cool film. If you haven't seen it, it's a cool film to see because it kind of tries to explore how yeah. a Dark Ages person would think. And so when they see something that's unexplainable, they think, oh, magic, which is cool. I like. I, it was an interesting way is, of looking at it. Another example of that is also Gormenghast, which is another mm. widely regarded dark fantasy novel, and that doesn't really have and any again, magic at all. There's no magic in that, you're right. Yeah, so that's a kind of, again, it's 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 more just, I'm, I'm kind of just fascinated by the kind of the world where obviously there is some magic, because of course I am, that is, Matthias, there's, you know, there's a, there's a story of prophecy here and, and how Ma Matthias is destined to become Martin's successor. Um, yeah. But I like the idea that the magic is kind of so interwoven into the world. It's not something that 
you wave a magic wand and oh here's magic now it, it's it's more just this kind of world of yeah prophecy and, and maybe a hint of you know well destiny as well and and you know so it's interesting thinking about that but yeah i, I don't know it was it, it was i was again just thinking about it. it's one of my many questions while i was reading reading the series no no one of the reasons why i'm really engaging because it's kind of stumped me i thought hey that's a very good question you know to think about what mm. we we should think about that with like these sort of stories yeah um, because because when i first read it i i was thinking it was a medieval themed story yeah but with animals because you know it starts off in the monastery in the abbey and 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 matthias is a young monk or a young novice um and the whole story is kind of like almost like the name of the rose you know this kind of yeah story set in a monastery and then these kind of evil influences come in from outside but then then of course well much like the name of the rose there's a hint of magic in that as well you know so uh, that's a that's a good book film as well if anyone wants a monk, monk story well, Christian, because I think something I missed this out reading the book, but in the book is Cornflower given more of a character because I've got the sense from the graphic novel yes. that because um, <laughs> yeah, in yes. the graphic novel, <laughs> straight away both of us are yeah, like yes because basically in the graphic novel she well, she was barely in it then suddenly at the end um, when the priest is dying he says Cornflower you must love and marry Matthias and I'm like that's kind of an arranged marriage and I watched a cartoon and Cornflower was in it a lot yeah. and I was like oh so. Why was she omitted from the graphic novel? So it's not on the range marriage thing. She actually yeah. does have a bond with Matthias. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Even no, as they, a kid, no, I thought it, that was a bit weird. No, in, 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 <laughs> to be fair, in the book, they do mention multiple times that Matthias and Cornflower are constantly eyeing each other up. Um, Cornflower's yeah. Matthias's love interest, should mention. But yes, no, the cartoon definitely beefed up her role a lot. Like to the point that she's she's joining in with when they're when they're looking for the sword, she's heavily involved in The cartoon, wait, so to say. Yeah, the cartoon, yeah. Yeah. Not I kinda disagree. I feel like in the book she's a bit more heroic and stuff like that. And whereas in the cartoon there's more weird forced damsel in distress situation there was a da yeah there was a to. there was one episode where she's a damsel in distress which doesn't happen more like happen five the like there was no there was just like, the one all... she gets caught in the wheel no thing. <laughs> she gets caught in the wheel thing yeah then then but then also there's the bit at the end where like Clooney the that whole oh, thing that, yeah, that, that yeah, was meant to be the friar end, yeah. that in the graphic novel in the book that's the friar yeah but nobody cares about um... the friar <laughs> <laughs> That was like the the cook, wasn't it? Who gets kidnapped like at the very end of the yeah. book? Yeah, no one cares about him. <laughs> but 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 in the book, one point I'm driving at is in the book, she's more heroic, and she even tries. To, I think she attacks rats with fire at one point. No, like, she she throws. Oh my she, god, the cornflower! She throws the soup in the in there. Oh yeah, no, she she accidentally sets the the tower on fire. Yeah. Yeah, um, she does. They but, do that, but they said, "Oh, even we can't sink to the level of fire." Yeah, and the cornflower's yeah. like, "But they got rid of them, though." Yeah, <laughs> but that, <laughs> that happens in the cartoon as well. That's cornflower in that. No, in the cartoon, she pours porridge all over them. If it's boiling hot porridge, like in Goldilocks and the Three Bears, when it's too hot, too cold, or just right. Yeah, if you burn them with porridge, yeah, that would work. That that was that was an odd thing in the cartoon actually, because they did the tunnel story twice. Clooney tries to dig in with a tunnel and they literally did that twice round. First they dumped hot porridge on them, but then later on they they did the scalding hot water thing that they used in the in the previous in, well in, in the book. So I thought that was strange. Mm. 
That's yeah. one thing I wanted to say about the cartoon was that I noticed. There's a lot of kind of filler here and oh, there. Yeah. There's some yeah. episodes that don't really feel like they contribute to the story, which is basically them padding it out so it fits a whole 13 episodes. Yeah. So I was just, because I was like, yeah, okay. so it's like this episode where a whole carnival comes yeah, to Red Bull, yeah. and I'm like, this was not in the graphic novel. Was this in it the was, book? It was damage control. Uh... <laughs> I still think my favourite uh... quote from Dooney was from the porridge situation. It goes like, they defeated Clooney the Scourge with porridge. <laughs> I just love that so much. Yeah. That brings me joy. That was a great. That was a great. That was a great moment. Yeah, um, I like enjoyed. That. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of the voice acting so much in the cartoon. It was a bit off. I don't know. That's the thing. I like yeah. it and hate it. So things like I think Clooney's perfect. I personally think. Uh, I yeah. You know he's he yeah he, he was the he was well, the best. I like the molds. Yeah. I like the Somerset accents they got. They're like I knows where those potatoes be going. Uh huh. About the same as my grandmum do fine when she's rootin' round olden time fortifications. His grandmother found steps like these in the old ruins. You know, kind of thing. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. like I, I felt uh, a little bit like with a lot of the accents, it felt like Canadians trying to do accents yes, ra- rather than rather than actually casting yeah people with a, a like a, a West Country accent or, or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess because it was a it was a Canadian cartoon. It was made by I think it Nel Nelvana. At least that's he's the first season done by Nelvana, who like mm. a big Canadian animation company who did the they did the animated bit in the Star Wars Holiday Special. Oh, I think they did the droids wow. and he watched cartoons yeah. well, as well. Well, the, the the cartoon, yeah, the animation looks great. What happened? I don't know. Well, somebody must know something. <laughs> I especially yeah. one, one thing that's not really animation, but I really loved it was the uh, the use of the tapestry. So one of the big things in the yeah. in the book and the cartoon is is the tapestry, the history of Red of Red Wall. You know, it's like the bio tapestry; it tells the whole history of the of the place. But yeah, they they keep adding to it with each episode. So they show you know the episode's events as a kind of you know a recap or during the credits, which I thought was really sweet. So if you've missed the previous previous episode, you can see ah here's the episode where Ma- um, Matthias fights. Asmodeus the snake and things like that and I thought that was really sweet yeah yeah and I, I love the Celtic themes music like it I really got help sell the mm. vibe and yeah, the music's great yeah and yeah another thing I really liked about the cartoon is it yeah, doesn't yeah. really shy away from death I mean we did talk about how they changed the death in the thing in like yeah, something yeah. so they toned it down but um, there was a lot of cartoons around that time mm. That assumed that children couldn't cope with death, so they always shy away from it. Like remember stuff like look, maybe a lot of anime that was brought over to Western audiences, like um mm. there's a bit in um, Dragon Ball Z where they um blow up a plane and clearly kill the characters, but you can still hear Goku say, Look, I can see the parachutes, they're okay. Yeah. And most infamously Yu-Gi-Oh! removed infamously removed any instances mm-hmm. of death. Yeah. And in, instead, oh, yeah. people were sent to the <laughs> Shadow Realm! It's, it's a good point you make there, Rob, because like, even the animation it launches you into a tragic storyline yeah, of a yeah. child literally being born into a poor household with barely any food, and his whole family is being killed mercilessly. What makes it even worse is the older sister called Myrtle, who yeah. also dies. Yeah, she, um, yeah, she dies. <laughs> she dies. She goes, but she, before that happens, she goes on a journey that is shown to the viewer that actually, in a brief amount of time, makes you feel 
like familiar to her as a character, you get connected to her and, and Matthias, before she's inevitably killed. It's this kind of story, really. Basically, it just says, hey, yeah, yeah. lots of people are going to die, uh, but we want to make sure we emotionally connect you with the characters first. You know, you know Gorzim's, yeah, yeah. Gorzim's death before Asmodeus is just heartbreaking, you know? It's just mm. like, ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, because when I, when I started watching the cartoon and I saw Matthias' backstory, I was like, I don't remember that in the graphic novel. Was that in the um, graphic novel? No, no, yeah, no that's, that that's not the in show. the that's not in the book. Yeah, right. that's just a, that's just a show. They they added that so that um, Matthias has a bit more of a background with Clooney because it's Clooney yeah. who killed who kills uh, Matthias's family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, think, to, I guess to yeah. give kids a bit. One more. character I want to highlight because I just loved yeah. her was Constance the Badger. I as soon as I started reading the graphic novel, I was like. I love this character because she was very mm. much very bad not taking any crap from Clooney and she was very aggressive. I was like, I love this character. Do you know what's funny about Constance? Um, in the animated series, she's shown as being like this anthropomorphic animal with clothes carrying the carriage with both Basically carrying it like a human, uh, carrying a cart. As in the graphic um, novel, she's actually pulling it like a horse. Like a horse, yeah. That was very weird. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, that was strange. Well, that's how I imagined it. I imagined it when I read the book. I imagined her pulling it like a horse-drawn cart. Because again, I was thinking, oh well, you know, she's normal badger size. The mice are tiny compared to her, so it made sense to me. And then, yeah, in the cartoon, she's walking on her hind legs, which one, is strange. One thing, just before we, anyway. uh, just because we don't want to move away too quick. Um, but Constant Badger does say in the book at one point, my badger senses told me right off that these were very bad at you rats. Does she have like a spider sense? Going <laughs> Like uh, another another part yes. in the cartoon yeah, okay. that I thought was yeah. <laughs> which threw me off. Get his name, the um the rabbit. Uh, Basil Stagger. But yes, he said something like killed a buckos, and I thought he was saying something else, which I'm not going to repeat. I'm trying to avoid swearing on the podcast, but I remember telling James this. And... To, to be fair, we've done a good job. We haven't sworn so far. Yeah, well, I think yeah, I remember okay. telling James. I was like, he says he says um killed the the bu- the buckos. I thought he was saying something else, and then he's like. Wait, he said kill? Fire mice to the pond! Fill the buckets and form a chain! He's not like that. And I said, no, this episode here, he says the word kill. And then Jason back and looked and said, oh. <laughs> Basil Stackhair, I imagined having a, uh, a John Cleese voice. And I was very happy to see that the cartoon had the exact same thoughts. Uh, kind of, very, oh, what oh, good chums? Let's go on an adventure. What, what? You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm glad that, I'm glad the book was exactly like Yeah, that. he did have the, that kind of voice. Yeah, and another thing I've noticed was the character design. The character designs as well. They kind of remind me of hmm. Dizzy's Robin Hood, mainly the clothes they wear. But I got the vibe. I think it's mainly Constance again because she's wearing dressed as a nun. That, that I thought she looks like someone out of Disney's Robin Hood. Yeah, I like Basil Stagg. He literally just—he's got a lot of energy. He's a goofball. He just potters around, not really knowing where he's going, and it's just like, "Hello, my to service." And he's always ready and prepared mm. and you know, cracking jokes. So I, I've always, it was a bit random how he just appears just yeah. part way through the book, like, hello, I'm yeah. going to help you now, Fires. But at the same time, sure, it's a welcome sure. randomness. Would, I would, don't you, know, would you say was, that he is, it was fun. there's some implication in the book that he is actually insane and that uh, he, all, all of, all of, yes. all, all of, all of his talk <laughs> about military service 
may not actually be true. I got the got vibe, witness, you know. He said he got like knighted a stag by two toes or something stupid like yes, that. Yes, yeah. He believes he's and he or he loved he loves stags. Yeah, <laughs> some implication. I don't think it's an implication. I think it's a fact that he's insane. <laughs> <laughs> he actually, you know, he, he the good thing is he's on their side, sort of thing. But he is probably crazy. Um, um, which is yeah. Quite another thing I wanted to quickly uh, jump in about yeah. uh, with Basil actually in the cartoon. He's kind of a bit more—I don't want to say wicked. I, I wanted to use a swear word there, but like, um, but basically, Basil Stegger at one point sent Matthias on a quest to Captain Snow. Like, he might eat you, lol, tiny old, old chap. <laughs> and it's like, what? What? <laughs> he gave me this uh, medal, bravery, honor, all that rot. Show him the medal, and he might listen to you. He may very well eat you, of course. <gasps> Good luck, youngun. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> well, I, well, I know. I noticed that there's a bit of a harder edge with the cartoon because there's the bit when they actually, so Sela the fox and Chicken Hound. It turns out that they're like traitors. They're literally they're they're playing both sides to, so that they always mm. turn out on top. And one of the things was yeah, in, in the so in the book, they're they're double crossing Clooney and Clooney eventually figures it out figures it out and then murders uh Sela and uh Chicken Hound escapes but then eventually dies himself. But anyway, but in the in the cartoon it's they figure out that Sela's a traitor in Redwall and then chuck her out to then be murdered by Clooney, which I thought was really brutal from the from the Red Wall characters. They were like, "Yeah, we know he's gonna kill you. Bye." And they just throw her out. And I was like, "Damn." <laughs> so yeah, there's there's these some... are the good guys. And what about this traitor? Oh dear. Yes, I suppose there must be some form of punishment, mustn't there? Bury her up to her neck in red ants, then hang the wretch from the tower before you draw and quarter her. Or we could let her go. Are you crazy? Not really, but Clooney is. I'm sure he will know how to deal with her. Now wait a minute. There's no need for that. I'm sure we can come to a better arrangement. I, I, I can be of great service. I'm a healer after all. I'm a Exactly, I was, I did have that vibe, yeah. There's a couple of things going back to uh, points you guys made previously, going back to the medieval artwork um, at the beginning of mm, each episode. Yeah. That, that intro and outro of the show kind of remind, you know, obviously it accentuates the medieval nature of the show, but it also kind of reminds me of Samurai Jack's intro and outros a little bit, you know, but styled oh, yeah. in a... Yeah. yeah, it has the whole thing going yeah. through, telling the history of Jack fighting a coup, then getting sense of the future. Well, both try to create yeah. a sense of myth, and uh, I think that's a very good way to do it, really. Uh, but also going to the novel, you know, there's also, I don't know if your version has this, Ewan, but there's medieval artwork on the top of each chapter, um, yeah. which I no, think I, is... Yeah, I had the, with the kind of wood chipping style, yeah. Uh, I yeah. love those illustrations, they're really lovely. Mm. In fact, the cover artwork of the book is just top class. I don't... Was I, the was the one you had? I had the one of Clooney on yes. the horse with yeah. No, I checked. That's so great, great I bit think of artwork. you've got the hardback, haven't you? Um, I've got, I've got the paperback. Paperback. Oh, okay. I've got the paperback. So, paperback. Yeah. It looks a bit bigger than mine for whatever reason, but yeah, no, we had the same artwork, yeah. um, and yeah. I love that. Yeah. They changed it in recent times to make it. I think there's a weird movement with publishers where they're trying to take children's literature and turn it into a YA. Uh, like they're trying to basically promote it as such like they're trying to present it to yeah. adults in a way so they've made them with these weird 
mature covers where there's no cartoon mice or anything like that and none of those epic illustrations it's just like this sort of like bland golden symbol with a mouse on it yeah and the end yeah. funny and enough so, see now going to pick that up and then be like what? Why is they mice? Why are they mice? This is not for yeah. me. Yeah, and the Edge Chronicles mm. did something similar. Rather than having the lovely illustrations by uh, Chris Riddell, yeah, um, he, yeah. Yeah. they kind of replaced it with this sort of CGI-looking kind of artwork, which is cool, but it's not. Oh. But it's not what the Edge Chronicles is. It's the. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll need. To, I'm, I'm not going to pass judgment. If they do look cool, then I'll. I'll they look I'll, cool. You know. But yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. You, you lose that that style, that 2D. It's style, like so replacing great. a Roald Dahl book, yeah. but not having any of the mm. Quentin Blake illustrations. And I think that they're almost mm. like a necessary part of it, if you know what I mean. But yeah. Oh my God, 100%. It's, but it's yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of artwork, I want to talk about the artwork in the graphic novel because it's got the yeah. same kind of rustic quality of the. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics, like mm. the original ones from the 80s that we spoke about um, in an episode last year. Uh, doesn't, I don't yeah. think it has quite as the same flair. And I think it had gave the story a bit more of a mature and serious edge, which wasn't in the TV show as much, I don't I think. I think there's a couple of things. So I was really interested. I thought it was the most different out of the... I mean, it, was, it, was, it still had the dialogue from the book, but the stylistically, it's the most different out of all the visual stuff I've seen of Red Wall so far. There's a weird... Oh, yeah, I remember you saying it was, it's good. there's some Kurosawa yeah, there's in there. there's an interesting chalk light quality that reminds me of Kurosawa films, like Akira Kurosawa. Um, and it's kind of dark. Mm. But one thing that was yeah, yeah, really yeah. interesting to me, and also goes ties into the Kurosawa observation, is that it does a better job of showing the scope of Clooney's army. Um, there's like literally a panel with hundreds of mm. rats, and it looks like something out of 300. Um, like literally, in the cartoon, you don't see that scope. In yeah. the books, um, it does sort of highlight how big it no. is, but visually... You don't get the sense that this is a big, overpowering, you know, uh, intimidating army. Whereas the comic book does yeah. a perfect job of that. I yeah, because I got that from the comic. Oh, this is a big army invading Red War. There's going to be a big battle. Mm. And then uh, first episode of the cartoon, it's just Clooney and a few, a, like, handful of rats. And it's like, that's it? Yeah. Another thing also that was interesting is Martin the Warrior. First of all, just, yeah. we haven't talked about Martin yeah. the Warrior. But basically, Martin the Warrior is basically like the Rambo of the ma uh, mouse world. He's just like this guy... What is he described as doing? I think he, like... Oh, yeah, he fought foxes, vermin, and great wildcat single pawed before turning to a life of humility or something like that. But um, in the cartoon, and I felt it was implied in the book that it was just a voice speaking to Matthias. Uh, it was, the you know, the voice of the ghost of Martin the Warrior. But in the comic, he actually appears as a ghost. Like, you actually see the ghost of Martin the Warrior um, haunting... Um, Oh, so like, yeah, like the ghost of Obi-Wan yeah, Kenobi. Yeah, exactly like that, actually, yeah. So that was interesting. I thought there's there's little things, the the, the the artist seemed to be taking it into his own stride and doing his own thing with the story, which I really appreciated. Um, Gauzin's death in the comics, The Shrew, uh, is grim as hell. Like, in the, in the cartoon, it's really emotional with sad music playing. But literally, there are no words used in the panels where she's dying. And Logalog literally sees the corpse of girls in, and it just slumps to the ground with their mouth open. It's kind of upsetting, actually. Um, yeah, but... we, we haven't we, we haven't talked about um, Asmodeus that much, or Asmodeus. Yes. Uh, I read I read it as Asmodeus, and I'm not going to change that, despite what the cartoon Smaug's did. Smaug's it's, yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, yeah, Smaug's <laughs> Morg, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, it's Smaug's Smaug all over again. 
Yes, yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. No, it's 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 clearly Asmodeus. Um, but yeah, so I, I, it, he's very cool. He's this kind of snake. Well, he's an adder, and he just pops in and out of the plot every now and then just to eat some unfortunate character who's in the forest. But then they they actually need to track Asmodeus down later on um, to find the the sword of Martin. And uh, oh, it's great. It's like a again. It's kind of what I was saying about like mate, taking the natural world and turning this kind of epic fight in, in, in you know, or take making an epic fight out of it. You know, the idea of a mouse fighting a snake. Asmodeus has come to kiss you goodbye. It's such a great oh yeah that, idea because that was some um, yeah yeah I'll cut it because that's something that drew me to Mouse Guard because the very first issue of Mouse Guard starts with um, this big snake fight and it ends with um, like the young impulsive mouse killing the snake by jumping into his mouth and bursting through the head and I was just like yeah I'm on board yeah um, and Bias does that as well actually sort of oh he chops his head off doesn't he Martin Strike Strike or Red At least in the ground, he, 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 he beheads yeah. it. It doesn't yeah, jump into yeah, his mouth yeah. and burst through, which is what, what I like to mouse oh, yeah. guard. Not sure if this is an accurate judgment, but Asmodeus kind of reminds me of Satan in Paradise Lost and Regained. And also, like, <laughs> what? What? Why? Why is that funny? <laughs> this is the second time you've compared a character to Satan in Paradise Lost. <laughs> I like Paradise Lost. It's fun. Um, I know, but I, I, you compared and... Shadow Weaver to Satan as well. Yes, I have. <laughs> but to be okay. <laughs> uh, Sorry, continue. No, no, yeah, you're yeah. right. Um, Next also... episode, Hexadecimal is like Satan in Paradise Lost. Oh no. <laughs> It's going to be my ongoing quote. Which I'll get, but, um... uh, so Asmodeus is like Satan. I, yeah, I can see that. And the, um... you know, the book of Genesis in the Bible, you know, it's a snake yeah. who charms his victims and promises eternity only to bring damnation and death to all the, you know, those he crosses. And of course, Satan was a snake in the Christian stories. I'm not trying to force it in. Um, <laughs> maybe I should just make it a mission for every episode. I've just got to mention uh, the, just, the just snake. Yeah. Which one? Which one is Satan? <laughs> That's gonna be my mission. I'm gonna try and find it's that. It's just away. such a bizarre comparison. Like you know. But it's right. <laughs> God damn. But when you when you say like anything, oh yeah, that character's like Satan. You know, like yeah, okay, like, they're, they're the villain. It, or it, <laughs> it's like, yeah, of course, like, Satan's an embodiment of evil. Sauron is but... like Satan, you know. But he is like Satan. <laughs> I know, but, like, we all know that. <laughs> oh. Anyway, but, you know, Brian Jakes, yeah. to be fair, Brian Jakes was himself religious and inspired okay. by, you know, religion and Christianity, so... It's mm. not all unfounded. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you could say, that, but what my point is, you could say that Clooney is like Satan or Shadow. He is, is like, like an, you know, he, there's a lot of characters. Like he's Satan. likened to, to be fair. Clooney is likened to Satan explicitly in the book as well. It's not like a yeah, yeah. They they so, mention they so is, they so is it as, devils, um, don't they? on yeah. the nose yeah. as like Narnia, where he's like um. 
Aslan is Jesus. He gets crucified and he comes back. If I ask very quickly, we'll do this real quick. Favorite characters in. Uh... Um, I've already oh, said, yeah. but Constance the Badger, because she's a badass and she's so cool, she doesn't take yeah. yeah. Nice. James. Bigger <laughs> than Scourge. <laughs> I like him. I like villains that are and... goofy and they're quotable and then I can make fun of them later mm. on. I know it's good to have in-depth villains and stuff like that, but sometimes it's like having a cheesy snack with entertainment. You just got to have a silly little dumb villain that's really goofy and over the top sometimes. So I think it's, it's a bit yeah. of fun. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. And for me, it's King Bull Sparrow, because he's a funny, weird sparrow. It's good food for King Sparrow. King let a mouse worm live. One more son, then mouse die. <laughs> and I liked him. And we haven't talked about him much, but yeah, he's he's the king of the sparrows. He's apparently crazy, and he does he makes up rules every five seconds um there's a lot going on in this book i recommend it it's a Again, cute, cute little like ride. a shakespearean king yeah 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 yeah. very kind of king leontes from winter's tale or something like that yeah anyway all right we're good mm. <laughs> cool do we want to talk about what we're going to be presenting next time rob i can do yes so i come from the blue through systems peoples and cities to this place blue cast so that's probably going to go over most people's heads who are listening to this, but next time is our 25th episode, and because it's kind of a milestone, we're doing something a bit special, and we're discussing my all-time favourite TV show, Reboot, which is a show I have probably name-checked in a handful of episodes that we've done before, so I'm excited to finally get to discuss what makes this groundbreaking show so fantastic. Yeah, I'm very excited. Um, I've recently watched the whole thing myself, and it was a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot to be said about it being one of the earliest revolutionary 3D animations of the time. Um, so, yeah, I'm very excited for it. And I liked the villain. Does it remind you of Satan? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Until next time, the Bluecast bids you farewell. Bye. Bye. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to Bloobcast. We've been Rob, James and Ewan. You can find all of our episodes on Bloobcast.com. We're also available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We also have a YouTube channel where we produce shorter episodes called Bloobnets, where we discuss the latest news in popular culture. You can find us on social media with at Pod on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Please like, follow and subscribe so you can get the latest updates on new episodes. We also have an email address, which is bloobcast.outlook.com. So if you have any feedback or want to suggest things for us to review in our future episodes, please feel free to drop us an email and you'll get a shout out on the next episode. Please also rate and review us on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. More engagement helps us a lot. And finally, please share the podcast amongst your friends and family. Help spread the word so that the Bloobcast Empire can become strong and mighty.